Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Remember that uh, Peter had made that address. He explained what had happened with those, those gifts this, uh, of the Spirit there, specifically of the tongues that testified of the wonderful works of God. And he told them out of the book of Joel in verse 22 that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He also told them by their hands what they had wickedly done and how they themselves as individuals were guilty before God. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, crucified, both Lord and Christ. When they heard that, they said in a panic, what do we do? He said, repent, call upon the Lord and salvation and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for or because of the remission or forgiveness of sins, believers' baptism. And he told them with any other words in verse 40, many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Verse 41, Then they that gladly received the, his word were baptized. They were believers, believers' baptism. And the same day were added unto them, unto the church that was already in existence, about 3,000 souls. Now verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, that they, is the 120 earlier recorded in chapter 1, plus the about 3,000 souls, the assembly. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. I'm going to be touching on the subject this morning. Continue steadfastly. Continue steadfastly. If you compare what is written there to what is written in the book of Luke, chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, and verse 44, and he said unto them, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name through, among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. That's exactly what happened. And ye are witnesses of these things. Okay. Remember in the gospel according to Mark that John said, Hey, look, there's others over here, and they're testifying, and they're not with us. And the Lord said, Basically, leave them alone. If they're not against us, they're on our part. But you notice in the book of Luke, chapter 24, he doesn't give that other group or any other group these same words, does he? No, there is a specific commission and command given to these witnesses these witnesses turn over now to the book of Matthew if you would please same idea in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18 and Jesus came and spake unto them who well it was the apostles but they were representative of the Lord's assembly saying all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. The go ye. Again, is he talking to other groups? Who's he talking to? I believe he's talking to the assembly that he started, Luke chapter 6. That he, coming down out of the mountain after a night of prayer, he chose out of his disciples, apostles, 
and they had all continued through John's baptism. Acts chapter 1. Remember, we read that apostleship, John's baptism, under that authority. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So is every group commanded to teach whatsoever things that, that Christ commanded them? No. You can see the lineage pattern here from Matthew chapter 28 and Luke chapter 24. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world or into the age. The continuation of the Lord's assembly by chain link succession throughout time. Again, continue steadfastly. I would call myself a defensive landmarker. I really would. And what do we mean by that? Well, in continuing steadfastly, that word means to be devotedly to adhere to something. Okay, devotedly adhere. So if one was going to continue steadfastly in their marriage, it wouldn't matter what's going on in the world or in their marriage. They would devotedly adhere to that marriage. To give unremitting care, moving forward, to show perseverance, and to, and to, to also to faint not, or to, show one's, to also show oneself courageous, to move forward, being at constant readiness, and also being earnestly toward and diligent in exercise. I believe that continuing steadfastly, as we read in verse 42, in the Apostles' Doctrine, in a fellowship, in a breaking of bread, and in prayers, as an outline for what John, excuse me, J.R. Graves coined as the idea of landmarkism. Landmarkism. So what does what does landmarkism mean? Well, you have to put yourself back in the mid 1800s, where J.R. Graves and some others found exception. There were some quote Baptist preachers that had what they called pulpit affiliation with Presbyterians and, and whatever, that they would go preach in the pulpits of these other places and that these pastors of other churches would come preach in their pulpits, saying, you know what, we have common ground, let's, let's agree on the big stuff and let the other stuff slide. But J.R. Graves, being uh, defensive as he was over these key issues, he defended... He defended the Lord's church in pulpit affiliation, meaning that one should not have someone that is not of like faith and practice, faith and practice, and we'll get into that, come speak in the pulpits of the children of God. And likewise, he was also very tender-hearted toward the minds of young preachers. So if you look in, in 1 Timothy, what do we mean by that? Look in 1 Timothy just for a moment. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6. Speaking of pastors, that a pastor is not to be a novice. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he shall fall into the condemnation of the devil. So it would be super easy. It would be super easy for someone who is not grounded in the apostles' doctrine, which, by the way, is Christ's doctrine or teaching. That's what that word means, doctrine, teaching, or instruction. It would be super easy for someone to say, you know what, there's some stuff that, yeah, it's important, but it's not eternally relevant. Let's let that stuff slide and get some people in here. There were some people in the days of J.R. Graves, and by the way, people think that me being a hyper-landmarkism, they can call them whatever, I want, whatever they want, that J.R. Graves taught this stuff straight out of the Word of God about 200 years ago. So these are no new things. I'm not, I'm, these are no new things at all. 
So, so it would be super easy for these young men, as you can imagine, about 200 years ago, who were pastoring maybe a handful of people, to say, you know what, I want to be like so-and-so down the road and have a following. Let me invite them in, and guess what? They'll bring their crowd, and all of a sudden I'll get some attention and notoriety. That kind of stuff happens. It's going on right now. There are people that are, they call themselves Sovereign Grace, Grace Landmark Missionary Baptists, and they're just having affiliations that, uh, that honestly, they're questionable at best. We'll, we'll leave it at that. So what, what is that? Is, there is exactly one organization that the Lord Jesus Christ joined and was a member of. Think about it like that. How important is the Lord's assembly? Well, did Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, ever do anything that was not important? Did he? Did he ever do anything that wasn't important? Can you name one thing he ever did that wasn't important? When you look over in Mark chapter 1 or Matthew chapter 3, and you see the Lord Jesus Christ submitting, John said, no, I have need to be baptized of thee. And what did the Lord Jesus say? He said, no, fulfilling all righteousness, baptize me. Why? There was a man sent from God. His name was John. Jesus Christ himself submitted to the authority of God that was given through John the Baptist. That's how important it is. Jesus Christ himself submitted to authoritative baptism. Not just some guy out here saying, you know what, I baptize thee, but a man sent from God. So as they continued, and we read in uh, excuse me, Acts chapter Chapter 1, in verse 22, when they were looking for men to be called apostles, beginning from the baptism of John, so having proper authority from the very beginning, you see, and continuing until the same day that, that he, the Lord Jesus, was taken up from us. So he heard all those things and believed all those things that the Lord Jesus Christ taught. One organization. Well, it has to exist because the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, Lo, I'm with you until the end of the age. So whatever that assembly is, it has to exist today right now. And it has to exist under the apostles' doctrine, and his people would gladly continue in it steadfastly. So who are they? Who are they? I believe, I believe with all my heart, that it's a Sovereign Grace Landmark Missionary Baptist Church. And we're going to go through those landmarks here in just a moment. What do they believe? What do they do? Well, let's get to it. You have there in front of you, and, and I would encourage you, not, not, don't, you don't have to memorize these things, but I would keep this copy of what Brother Graves wrote some time ago. And it's, it's published out of a, of a, a biography uh, that was written about him. Uh, so I would encourage you to keep this thing folded up right there in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, please do. So Gerald Graves, listen, from 1820 to 1893. Listen to what he wrote. And, and these 10 things, and we're just, this could easily be a 10-part message. It really could. We're, we're going to lightly skim over these things, and I want you to hold these things in your mind while you're considering. Look, the backbone of this thing is not what Graves said. The backbone of this thing is in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They, the Lord's church, in generation by generation, they we have continued steadfastly. And that continuing steadfastly is not just in the doctrine. It's in fellowship and breaking bread and in prayer. So the continuing steadfastly applies to every portion of that verse. 
So now, I'm going to read it, uh, but also we're going to elaborate a little bit on these things. Uh, number one, these are the ten premises of landmarkism, as, as uh, Gerald Graves described them. As Baptists, we are to stand for the supreme authority of the New Testament as our only and sufficient rule of faith and practice. This is the distinguishing doctrine of our denomination. I actually take exception with that word denomination. If you were to reach into your billfold, you could pull out a one, a five, a 10, a hundred, a 50, whatever, and those are all different denominations or, or, or allowances of currency. I don't believe there's different kinds of the Lord's church. I believe there is exactly one. There aren't denominations. Those others are to be considered societies, but there is one and only one true church of the living God. And he has only established one, one church. And, and I want to make that distinction. But I agree with Brother Graves here when he says that the authority of the New Testament is our only and sufficient rule of faith and practice, meaning whatever's in the New Testament and telling the Lord's children what we're to be doing, specifically in, in, the, in the epistles as were written by the Apostle Paul. But yes, in the New Testament, for all the way through, we're going to be studying the book of Revelation soon. That those things, if we think one thing, but the Word of God says another, then we adhere to what the Word of God says. And that goes both ways. We don't make up gaps and fill in the blanks of what the Word of God doesn't say, you see. So if, if you're looking for the assembly that the Lord Jesus Christ started, literally, what does the Word of God say? Well, the Word of God says that, lo, I'm with you until the end of the age. So it requires that the church be founded in the, in the idea that chain link succession and perpetuity throughout the ages. That's, that, that's something that the, that the church should, should uh, hold to. Any, any group... That doesn't, that doesn't go back to Jerusalem with their ideology, that has a, an authority starting by man somewhere else, then they don't believe in the supreme authority of the New Testament, nor do they believe in the supreme authority of Jesus Christ in believing exactly what he said. If someone believes that, uh, that, that when the Lord Jesus Christ said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, the gates of hell, yes, in, in chapter 16, going, looking back to Matthew chapter 7, that, the, that wide gate theology that, that God loves everybody and Jesus died for them and that God did all he could do to save you. You know, there's a broad, 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 broad gate. And the children of God, specifically the Lord Jesus Christ, his church, under landmarkism would not would stand against that. The gates of hell shall not prevail, meaning that the Lord's church will continue in preaching what the word of God says concerning the Lord, concerning sinners, concerning salvation, concerning his church, and, and all the rest of these things. That the word of God, not what I think, not what you think, but the word of God is our only and sufficient rule of faith and practice. It alone. Number two, as Baptists, we are to stand for the ordinances of Christ as he enjoined them upon his followers. Unchanged and unchangeable till he come. That includes both of them. Okay? So as Baptists, we're to stand for the orders as he enjoined them. Well, again, go back to Christ's baptism. Submitting to authoritative baptism. It has to have proper origin. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. These men and women who were part of the Lord's assembly all the way back to the beginning, that ordinance of baptism, 
that ordinance of baptism, it was an ordinance or a, a, a statute given by God that believers would repent and be baptized for, the, for because of the remission of sins. Believers' baptism. So all the way back to the beginning, that it would be unchanged, meaning never at any point would the, the, a Baptist church, a true Baptist church, knowingly baptize someone who is not a saved person in an attempt to save them or regenerate them or make them alive. And never would they support also a baptism that did not have authority that came from God. You see? Well, this makes you sound all pompous and everything. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Lo, I am with you. Not with every wind of change. Not, not with every type of, uh, of ordinance. And also, that until he come, when we practice the Lord's Supper, it is a demonstration of our belief of, of his sinless body and his sinless blood that was, that was broken. and not, not literally any bone was broken, but it was given and offered and shed for his people. And that he is coming soon. And in his, in his resurrection, he shall soon come. Unwavering. Who gives authority to do that? To stand for these ordinances. We don't have an open uh, uh, Lord's Supper, an open communion. If, if our brothers that we love dearly or sisters that we love dearly from other assemblies came in, we could not share the Lord's table with them. We couldn't. These ordinances, we're, we're to, to stand for them. You see, in time past, it, there hasn't been a stand. People just accepting people based on, on, on their word of mouth or statement. Oh, yeah, I was baptized at so-and-so Baptist church down the road. Well, come on in. We'll just accept you by statement. We had some people leave not long ago, and they joined some other Baptist church. I didn't hear from them at all. They must have accepted them by statement. No. The ordinance is there. Not even a question of what kind of baptism we had. No, Baptists are to stand for the ordinances. That we're to persevere in the ordinances. That, are, that we're to diligently exercise and earnestly press onto the exercise of the ordinances, of, of the apostles' doctrine. Number three, as Baptists, we're to stand for a spiritual and regenerated church. They that gladly received the words, were baptized, his word, were baptized. A spiritual and regenerated church. He told them to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. He didn't tell them to meet him down at Jordan and be saved. He said, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Repentance, regeneration. And the motto on our banner being Christ before church, blood before water. Meaning, meaning that if we're to do anything, that Christ would lead us and direct us in the assembly and that before anyone can be a member, they must be a saved person. Do the unregenerate creep in? Yes, they do. Remember, there's a, a, the parable of the tares and the wheat, and the man asked, Master, should we go out and dig up all the, all the tares? And he said, no, because you'll offend the wheat in doing that, you know. But we're to make diligence to examine. When someone stands before us and they say that God Almighty, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, has saved my soul, I was dead and I'm alive, what are we to do? Forbid water? I don't believe so. Can I know someone's heart? By examination we may. But Baptists are to stand for a spiritual church, meaning believer's baptism. That's what it's getting at. 
Well, what does that mean? Well, again, there's a whole wide gate of religion that tell you you got to do something to be saved. And that as a sacrament, people will be baptized. Even these babies, they'll sprinkle them and they'll dump them and they'll do all kinds of stuff in order to, to, to consecrate or set apart something unto salvation. But no, no, believer's baptism, believer's baptism. Number four, to protest and to use all our influence against the recognition on the part of Baptists of human societies. What's a human society? Anything that was not started by the Lord Jesus Christ himself is a human society. Okay? So again, read that again. To protest and to use our influence against the recognition on the part of Baptists of human societies as scriptural churches by affiliation, ministerial or ecclesiastical, or by any alliance that could be interpreted as putting such societies on an equal equality with Baptist churches. They call it an ecumenical movement, you know, trying to get everybody on the same page. Oh, we're going in the same direction. We all have the same goal. Let's, let's get together. Let's have coffee. Let's do this. Let's do that. No, as part of these Baptist distinctives, when these people look in verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. You cannot devotedly adhere to, to the apostles' doctrine and devotedly adhere to fellowship with this world. When it says that they continued in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, that word fellowship means association or community or joint participation. I'm, I'm not, I'm not to be one that uses my influence to give credibility to the influence of some human society. No. What does that do? Does that, that does nothing but to bring lower that church that the Lord Jesus Christ started. Minister or ecclesiastical. What does that mean? Well, if I told you, hey, you know what? You ought to go listen to this message online by so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. They said it way better than any Sovereign Grace Landmark Missionary Baptist ever said it. That gives credibility, whatever that group is or whoever that man is. But I believe that the, that the Lord's assembly does continue, and we are to continue steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine, which was Christ's doctrine. Does that mean that all wisdom and all knowledge is locked up in the Lord's assembly. I believe there are people that are saved outside the Lord's assembly, and I believe that there are very spiritual people that are outside of the Lord's assembly. But those people are dead wrong if they're outside the Lord's assembly on some very major things. They really are. Dead wrong. I cannot associate, community, have community or joint participation with them. Matthew Henry had a lot of good things to say. There's no way in this world I'd have Matthew Henry preach to y'all. Even John Gill and Charles Spurgeon, their, their church affiliation is questionable. I would not have someone whose church affiliation is questionable speak to y'all. To preserve and perpetuate the doctrine of the divine origin and sanctity of the churches of Christ, their unbroken continuity. How important is the Lord's assembly? You know, if I, if I, if I had a rock in my hand, if I had a rock in my hand, and I said, you know what? Way a long time ago, the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, he handed, he handed Peter this rock. And it's very special. And he, Peter handed that rock to somebody, and that somebody handed that rock to somebody, and then whatever. And here's this rock, and I set it down on this pulpit. Wouldn't you just think, wow, 
You mean all these people, chiefly the Lord Jesus Christ, had this rock? How special is that rock? The Lord Jesus Christ having his church. All power, authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. He handed this to men, and it has passed down throughout the ages. You tell me how important the divine origin of what's going on here today. How important is that? Oh, it ought to be the desire of every child of God to serve the Lord through that thing that he gave unto men to pass down through the ages. How precious. I tell you what, it's a lot more precious than a stinking rock. His assembly. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. To preserve and, I, and when I mean passed down, I don't mean thrown out in a desert somewhere and forgotten for 600 years and then somebody dug it up and said, let's go. I mean literally handed by hand, continuing in, in baptism, that illustration. After they gladly received the word were baptized, the next generation, next generation, that, that, that church was never, ever lost throughout the ages, though hard to find at many times. Verse number six here. To preserve and perpetuate the divine and inalienable and sole prerogative. What's that word prerogative mean? Particular privilege of a Christian church. And that church being the Lord's church. A Baptist church. A true Baptist church. There's a lot of churches that have the name Baptist on it that don't believe any of this stuff. A true Baptist church. To preach the gospel. And what is that gospel? It's not four and a half points. It's not the sovereign almighty God will save you if you'll let, if you'll let him. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That makes the dead to live in his death, burial, and resurrection. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. To select and ordain her own officers, and not by committee, and not by sanction, and not, not by uh, someone else. You know, when the ordination service happened here, those men that came over and laid hands on me after questioning, they didn't ordain me. They recommended me for ordination. This church had the sole right to decide who was going to be ordained. The officers. Now, some people believe in a plurality of elders, meaning that you know there can be five pastors and have one chief pastor and all that kind of stuff. Well, that the church has the individual right to select and ordain her own officers. And if we wanted to just ordain everybody here as a deacon, every man here as a deacon, then we could do that because the church has the sole right to ordain her own officers. I believe that. Now, the church has to give account for that stuff, but I believe they have the right to do that. And to control absolutely her own ordinances. There are people that use stuff in their ordinances that I don't believe is the picture that the Lord gave us. You know, there, specifically, there's people that I know that, that they use grape juice. Would I unchurch those people? No, I don't unchurch those people, but, you know, I should be careful who I fellowship with. I really should. But the church has the right to do that. You know, I, I can call up a pastor and say, hey, look, I hear that you're sprinkling people over there. Let's talk about this thing further. And we as men can disagree on things like that. We don't got to be hateful with it, especially take it on social media. We don't have to be hateful about that stuff. And church, But churches have their own right to do that. They do. Should they follow absolutely immersion as baptism? I believe so. Should they follow absolutely unleavened bread and wine in the Lord's Supper? I believe so. And those things handed down by chain link succession through the authority that God gave John baptizing and Jesus saying, go, go forth, all power and authority is given. Be my witness. 
But again, the local church has the right to, to, and I'll say this carefully, we can be wrong about things, but we have to have, go back to the first point that the New Testament is our supreme authority over this assembly. So if we see that we're wrong about something, then the New Testament will correct us. I thank God for that. But we don't have a board or other churches coming in and sanctioning us and that type of thing. That's what that point is getting over. To preserve and to perpetuate the scriptural design. This is number seven. The scriptural design of baptism and in, in, in its validity and recognition only when scripturally administered by a local church. What's that mean? So a church has to have authority from another church to be started. And I, I don't believe we have to have a lineage tree and, and vain genealogies and all that kind of stuff. But if something's not started right, it will never grow into the right thing. It has to be started right. And like begets like, so we can, we can take good confidence that if something was started right, then, then that would have continued on. Backward, that is. So having authority. The church has to have authority. We baptize, we have authority. When, when we baptized last week, we, I believe we had authority that came from God and passed down through the ages to administer baptism. There also must be a candidate, the proper candidate. What's that mean? Go back to previous uh, points there. A believer. Believer's baptism. And that mode or method, immersion, all the way under, all the way up. What is that picture? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See Matthew chapter 3, see Romans chapter 6. Dead. You don't bury somebody with their head sticking under the water, right? And if, if I were going to bury a dog, I wouldn't just go sprinkle a couple of things of dirt on top of it and say, okay, it's buried. No, under, under, all the way. To perpetuate that divine, excuse me, yes, to, to uh, that, that scriptural design of baptism and that with authority, candidate, and method. To preserve and perpetuate the true design and symbolism of the Lord's Supper. His body, pure, sinless. His blood, pure and sinless. And as a local church ordinance, meaning we have authority to do it because being started as a, as a proper church, continuing steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine chain, by chain-link succession through the age, we have authority to practice it. Now, if I wanted to invite everybody over here for lunch after, after and, and I had little cups of, of Manischewitz wine with some unleavened bread, that's not the Lord's Supper. Read what Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. No, the Lord's Supper is, is a dedicated service unto the Lord, a church ordinance honoring the death, burial, resurrection, and imminent return of Jesus Christ. And done so, but for one purpose, the commemoration of the sacrificial death of Christ and not to be as a denominational ordinance. I'm just share it with any old person. And it doesn't save you, contrary to what some groups. It's not an idea of transubstantiation where you eat that bread and the bread becomes the, the body of Christ in your mouth. Or you drink the wine and it becomes the, the blood of Christ in your mouth. That's not what, it's a picture of what happened. So you think about this too. Sometimes this gets lost in the, in the imagery of the Lord's Supper. When you eat something or drink something, that's considered fuel, isn't it? 
So if I were to, when I ate breakfast this morning, I ate because I feel like my body needed fuel. So if I eat, but and, and that is to be received as fuel, but I don't ever do anything, what good is the fuel, right? So in that, remember, when you read what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, in this you show the Lord's death until he come, meaning it's to be a reminder because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and because of his imminent return, that we're to live sanctified and holy lives, that, that it, should, uh, it should be a time that, that, in, that we just desire to be consecrated unto the Lord and live for him until his coming. Literally, it should be spiritual food to us. And again, not as something to be saved under, but again, they, they that gladly received his word were baptized and you see in verse 42, and in breaking of bread. I believe that speaks of the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table. What came first? They gladly received the word. They were, they were saved. And then they were baptized. And then they continued in the breaking of bread. You cannot, you cannot get that, order, that, 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 that out of order. A saved person, then being a member of the Lord's local church, through chain link succession, then is permitted at the Lord's table. The, the supper, as it is called. To preserve, number nine, to preserve and perpetuate the doctrine of a divinely called and scripturally qualified ordained ministry. Holding the office and acting for and under the direction of the local churches alone. A lot of mommy and daddy called ministers out there. There's a lot of people that even call themselves just as sure as I'm standing here, I believe that the Lord called me into the ministry. I really do. Now, whether you believe that or not, I, it's, I can, all I can do is preach the word of God and live a life, and you be the judge of that. But I believe, I, I believe that just as much as the Lord saved me, he called me into the ministry. Now, there are people that stand in the gap out of necessity, and that's a wonderful thing. And there are people that, you know, not every calling is a Jonah calling where people are on the run and the Lord has to hit them over the head and drag them into the ministry. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, if a man desires, he desires a good thing. But it is a thing that, 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 that a child of God is called unto, divinely called unto. Divinely called unto. Did I hear a small, still small voice? No, I didn't hear a still small voice. But I felt a... Uh, a, a divine motion unto the ministry, and that is for sure. And that ordination, that means that this body, this assembly, would have recognized then either some whatever gift I, the gifts that I displayed in the ministry and whatever understanding I have in the Word of God, that this body then went through the process of ordination. And that I am not not the uh, the uh, the uh, the quote director of, of this assembly, but I am under the direction of this local assembly, and at the same time to be the under shepherd of this assembly. That almost sounds paradoxical, doesn't it? To be the the uh, the leader, but the chief servant at the same time. Well, my, my, my direction in the ministry then would be to teach you the Word of God so that in those things, then you would be agreeable in the Word of God and that it would be such an easy thing both to be the leader and also chief servant of this assembly. Again, it's not by board or committee. 
It's not, and I mean at large, that this is done at a local level. And also to preserve the primitive fealty or loyalty and faithfulness to the truth. Faithfulness to the truth. That shun not to declare the whole counsel of God. That's Old Testament, that's New Testament. You know, Lexington, there might be some days that whenever I pre- when this word of God is preached, that it really hurts your feelings and steps on your toes. Preserve the, the fealty or loyalty and faithfulness to the truth, not the Lex's feelings. The fealty or loyalty and faithfulness to the truth, not to my feelings or Brother Gary, Sister Nelda, Sister Debbie, Sister Jill, anybody, not, not to our feelings or our perception or whatever, but to declare the whole counsel of the Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament. And to teach all men to observe whatsoever things, all things whatsoever Christ commanded, to be believed and obeyed. What was believed and obeyed? Then they that gladly received the Word were baptized. And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. Another, uh, another wrote of these statements, that not the belief and advocacy of one or two of these principles constitutes a full old landmark Baptist, but the cordial reception and advocacy of all of them. So when I said at the beginning, at the outset, that I was a defensive landmarker, now you understand. I, 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 I hope that we can agree on every point on the, as here indicating. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, see, see if there's any discrepancy of how these things were described by Brother Graves and what is written in verse 42. And they, the Lord's assembly, continued, and that's the 120 plus about 3,000, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They, were de- they devotedly adhered to. They gave unremitting care to. They preserved and, and were not to faint. They were to show themselves courageous, being in constant readiness, being earnestly toward and diligent in the exercise of the apostles' doctrine, which was Christ's doctrine. They were to continue steadfastly in the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were to continue steadfastly in the instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Matthew. Look at Matthew chapter 28. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. What does that involve? That involves quite a bit. That involves quite a bit. Continuing. And lo, I'm with you until the end of the age. End of the world. So the continuing steadfastly, I believe, through chain link succession, has continued unto this day. And that assembly that has such things continues in the teachings and instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That instruction in fellowship, having association and community, a joint participation with one another, a local, visible, authoritative body that has come together exclusively under that baptism to worship and adore the Lord Jesus Christ and do whatever he told us to do. Fellowship, true fellowship, I believe it continues steadfastly today. And breaking of bread, that's again the Lord's Supper. Continues steadfastly, holding to it, holding to it, believing that Jesus Christ died, was buried, he rose again, and he's coming back. 
How often did they do this? I don't know. That was a church prerogative. They could have done it every day. I don't. They, they may have thought that he was coming back any moment. Go back and read Acts chapter 1. He's coming back in like manner. He's coming back. They could have been taking that every day. That's the local church prerogative. We do it once a year. We, that's what we do. Some people do it on the fifth Sunday. Some people do it quarterly. That's that local church's prerogative to do it. But they continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly in breaking of bread. Also, they continued steadfastly in prayer. And this is no lighter thing. These are the addresses toward God, worshipful and earnest. So whatever prayer and whatever prayers they were offering, look at this again in verse 42. They continued steadfastly in prayers. Whatever prayers they offered were consistent with the apostles' doctrine, with fellowship and in breaking of bread. So how does our does that form our prayer life? The, 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 the doctrine of Jesus Christ. The doctrine of, of fellowship or interaction or community. The doctrine of his death and burial, his sinlessness, his body and his blood, his imminent return. How well does that form our prayers, our addresses toward God, our worshipfulness toward him, our earnestness toward God? To continue steadfastly, devotedly adhere. There is no doubt in my mind that the Lord's church is a sovereign grace landmark Baptist church. No doubt in my mind. No doubt in my mind. Child of God, I encourage you, as the apostles did, and as those did in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, to continue steadfastly in these things. Continue steadfastly in these things. To trust the Lord and to do what he says through the Lord's church. Can there be people saved outside the Lord's assembly? Absolutely. Absolutely. Then they that gladly received the word, his word were baptized. I think it should be a glad thing for a child of God who has received by God salvation, the new birth. It would be a glad thing for them to serve him through his church, to continue steadfastly in those things. I encourage you to do it. Sinner, I would encourage you to repent. Again. It shall come to pass in verse 21, Acts chapter 2, verse 21, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 23, him being delivered. Excuse me, verse 22, ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. Jesus Christ, as he lived his life, he showed himself the Son of God. That's what that's saying. Which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves know. He being delivered, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. You have sinned, sinner, you have sinned against the holy God. You weren't there in... in at Jerusalem, on, at Golgotha, Calvary. You weren't there some 2,000 years ago. But if you were, you would have been screaming with the rest of them, crucify him, crucify him. We'll not have this man to reign over us. You are guilty before God. Verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly, and let all men everywhere know assuredly, that God hath made this same Jesus, whom you have crucified, who you have sinned against, who you have rejected. He is both Lord and Christ. He alone, in his death, burial, and resurrection, is the Savior of his people. They were panicked. Men and brethren, what do we do? 
May God panic you in your guilty condition. What do I do? What do I do? Peter said unto them, Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from yourself. Turn from your religion. They were there to worship in Acts chapter 2. These men were religiously unsaved. Repent and be baptized, everyone, in the name of Jesus Christ, in the reputation of his gospel for or because of the remission or forgiveness of sins. Verse 39, for the promise is unto you, unto your children, and to, those, and to all that are afar off. And that's exactly where I was when the Lord saved me. Far off, far as I could be. I wasn't in the outer reaches of the galaxy. No, I was in the depths of sin and dead, 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 far off. Even as, the many, uh, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Thank God that Jesus Christ came to seek and save that which was lost. Repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And Lord bless.